Courtney and I have never met in person. Instead, we've connected through virtual meetings. We quickly realized that Betty and I enjoy brainstorming together about ministry, faith, and life, and that we have a lot to learn from one another. A virtual time together has felt similar to sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee, something that feels so foreign since the start of the pandemic. We found ourselves talking about life, theology, and asking all the big questions without ever having to leave with any answers. So we decided to turn this cup of coffee experience into a podcast. We're building a platform that invites others to ask the big questions you don't always feel comfortable asking. We'll use wonder as a tool to dig us out of these questions and help us reimagine our ways of doing ministry. So grab a cup of coffee or beverage of your choice. We'll let wonder percolate together. So it's Betty and Court, and we're back, and uh, we would like to explore something that's been percolating on our minds. So Court and I, um, we have been working on this project um, for our work, for our conference, uh, Mount Sky Conference of the United Methodist Church. And one of the things we were talking about is the power or the need or the importance of starting something even on a small scale, right? And it could then be catalyst for the movement into something bigger, um, which then makes me think about why it's so hard for us and specifically the local church to even start small, right? And so Court, we've been talking about um, inclusion, you know, this workshop we're, we're working on and, and trying to um, create something that could be used for the local church for various aspects, whether it's um, anti-racism, um, making sure our liturgy is more inclusive or whatever it may be. Um, we've been talking about the importance of even starting small could then be the beginning of having bigger impact, but yet sometimes it's even difficult to make that first step. So anyway, yeah, I'm grateful that you brought that up. And yeah, and what are your thoughts about why it could be so difficult for us yeah, so when we initially had this conversation, uh, you know, I'm taking a community organizing class over at ILIF, and we were reading Adrienne Marie Brown's Immersion Strategy, and she talks, this is where this came from, right? She talks about um, this idea of starting small and this concept of fractals. Um, so when you do something on a small scale, it's going to mimic itself on the larger scale. Um, so whatever... And that goes for anything that we're organizing in. That goes for ourselves as individuals. It goes for nature. Uh, she gets the idea from observing nature and these patterns that happen. So classic, like if you look at um, the cut of a tree or a log or whatever, and then you have all the rings and spirals and whatever, but then you also look at your fingertips and it kind of mimics that same thing, right? So we're always mimicking what happens at the small scale at the foundation. Um, and so if our foundation represents something that we don't want it to be, um, don't want our organizations to look like or our churches to look like, then our larger scale organization, conference even, uh, won't look that way either. And then when we try to make changes, so I think at a large scale, um, especially working with the conference, when we try to make changes and implement that on a small scale, it doesn't always work out because we're 
we're trying to do something we're trying to start up high rather than start below to make those changes mm-hmm. so when I think of making changes in the smaller church or um trying to push for like these ideas of being more inclusive and I know you and I both are talking um in our work about how can we be more inclusive to queer folks how can we be more inclusive to black indigenous and other people of color um how can we be more inclusive of like people at that the intersection of those identities and then all other marginal identities within that as well right so folks with disabilities um people of different ages things like that and and I think in that inclusion inclusion conversation we're also talking about like what does it look like to be more like hospitable and like welcoming of everyone regardless of your identity right because it doesn't matter who you can be you can walk into a church and still not feel welcome there and so when I think of this conversation of making these changes to be more welcoming um more inclusive whatever that may be I think part of the reason that we at a local church can struggle is because we fall into that trap of this is how it's always been done so why would we want to change it Mm -hmm. and I think as people and I'll speak for myself in this we're terrified of change like I'm terrified terrified of change I like my structure I like to some degree my routine but when that's challenged right it 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 for me causes me to get defensive um it's a little bit intimidating and yet and this is coming off of like other material that I've read as well for classes and things and yet I think that God calls us into that change to to do something with it right Mm -hmm. like thinking about stories in the bible like change growth um newness Mm -hmm. happens in the wilderness Mm -hmm. um yeah and so I think that we like struggle with it because it's scary because it's intimidating because it forces us to look at things that maybe we've been avoiding either in ourselves or in our communities and it makes us not want to not want to move forward with it um Mm -hmm. not want to engage in it because it's disrupting a part of our routine or something that we have we have been a part of for so long thanks for sharing I mean when you were talking it made me think it for me I did some self-reflection about why change is so hard for me and you know I grew up in the church and then it makes me think well why is it so hard you know for the church and I'm thinking about um, along the lines of my work of anti-racism or just you know decolonizing or you know shifting power and all that and I wonder part of change is so difficult is because at some point in some ways the church has been quote unquote successful right I mean like we have been you know the church um big c have had power have had influence and the thought that change might mean something different right and so so that is scary right I wonder like if if things have been going so well and then we hear this in the church like why would we change you know we used to do it this way it's because it used to maybe work and now the thought of being something different might mean that we have um some skin in the game you know some some uh failures that might happen as, as part of change or um and so um Thanks for lifting that up because that that is making me think in my own personal life, but then in ministry and in church, um, in various levels, right? Like if change um, is hard uh, because of routine, like you mentioned, and um, from a 
from a power standpoint or dominance or influence, the church has has been that, and the thought of having to um, step into something different or evaluating or trying something different is very vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've jot down a few thoughts on why um, maybe for the local church or for our our you know church systems to to take that first step um recently um i was so grateful to be a part of listening into a pan listening to a panel share and um, they were sharing specifically around disability and welcoming um, people into the congregation and they said that when when they bring up like why it's important to create space that is accessible for example, maybe wheelchairs or walkers or whatnot. Um, the feedback or the pushback people sometimes give is, well, we don't have anybody here who's in a wheelchair. And so the panelists said, well, that's because we don't have the way for people with who uses wheelchairs to, to come, right? And, and so even something like that was really impactful for me. Well, we don't have a person of color here, or we don't have a queer. Um, child here, right? So why why do we need to consider um, these changes or um, doing something new, right? And so that was helpful for me to hear. Um, and then the other piece too, I think is, um, and I know this is very personal to me, is that when I do think about it, it seems so big and it parallel, you know, it stops me in my track. Like, it's just too big. I give up, you know, I'm never gonna make it right. And so um, so the thought like you shared, starting small is powerful. Um, so those are some of the reasons why I think it's hard for, for me, especially I think for us as a church, why it's hard to, to even begin sometimes. Yeah, and money, that's another thing can sometimes throw into the mix too, right? Um, the financial piece. Yeah, no, I think you're, absolutely spot on and when you mentioned you know this when we are in a church and you know we say like well we don't have anyone who uses a wheelchair here we don't have a queer person here we don't have families here we don't have a person of color here like whatever so why do we need to make these changes right um I'm not a parent so I'm gonna I'm gonna put that out right now I'm not a parent so I don't know anything about preparing for parenting but what's common from what I've observed from those in my life uh, who our parents and have prepared to have kids is that you know when you decide to have a baby or you get pregnant and like you're well like getting ready to welcome your child you're reading parenting books right like you're going wow. to classes you're engaging in sources and material that are hopefully making you feel a little bit more confident um I'm sure they probably never totally get you there. I, again, I don't know. I'm not a parent. <laughs> Betty, you are. Maybe you can speak on yes. this too. No, this totally resonates. Yeah. Yeah. So like you're, pre you're preparing for this new child, this new baby, you're learning all that you can. And so to shift that into the church, if we want to have a space that in for like that's more diverse, for example, um, and I don't mean diverse, like let's sprinkle some people of color in here. Let's sprinkle sure. some queer yeah. people in here, but like, let's sprinkle like, all sorts of like different like diverse of thought right um yeah this might look like how do we you know have someone with a more conservative 
political viewpoints and someone um, with more progressive viewpoint, like worshiping together too. But if we want this diversity, this richness of the body of Christ that we crave and claim to be, we have to prepare ourselves for that, right? Mm -hmm. So as was mentioned in the disability conversation, um, if you want people with disabilities to be a part of your congregation, you have to create that space for them to even like be able to participate. So not just feel welcome, but even just be able to be a part of the congregation and the body of Christ. And same thing, you might not have an openly queer kid or youth in your congregation, but if you have families, if you have say 20 mm -hmm. kids, statistically one in four of those kids are probably lgbtq mm -hmm. not even are probably they are lgbtq whether or not they're open about it or have mm -hmm. come out yet or realize mm -hmm. it themselves and so what does it look like to foster an environment that mm -hmm. um makes them feel oh, like safe enough to be themselves mm -hmm. to be authentic um mm -hmm. you know if we want to engage in anti-racism work within our community is starting with mm -hmm. our church whether or not we have people of color there, that's only a benefit. Um, when we start to break down those white supremacist ideologies, we start to be able to learn how to create a better and stronger community because at the same time, I think we start to challenge power structures and hierarchies that already exist within our congregations. So yeah, that's the one thing that came to my mind um, is parenting, which is in a way like parenting. If you want to have all these people in our midst in our congregations we have to learn about it we have to prepare for it um you know the baby's not here yet but they might come well if you're having a kid they probably will come um, in nine months so we don't know the timeline in church right um but we have to get ready we have to nest for it i am so grateful for that analogy because i do have three kids and i've had twins i mean i have twins <laughs> so i have a, an old, older son and then uh, my girls are twins and I love that analogy and it resonates with me so much. And one thing that comes up for me, and I'm getting goosebumps and court, I don't know if you heard me say this, whenever I feel goosebumps, it's like, um, I feel like, you know, I get excited and it's the spirit moving in some way. But um, I love that analogy because then our work is in, in truly creating space for inclusiveness and welcome and hospitality and not charity in the sense of, and, and I, and I am trying to make sure I articulate articulate this in a, a way that doesn't come across um, differently from my intent. Um, so it is important, right? When we think of the Good Samaritan, for example, you have you have pity, you feel sorry, right? So, for example, um, for example, I'll just share. I'll just share from my own experience. Like when I was growing up, it was a Vietnamese congregation, so the worship service was in Vietnamese predominantly, 99%, 100%. But then when we realize that we have um, mixed-race families and friends of youth come in, and Vietnamese is not their language, right, we want to make it hospital, so we have interpretation, translation, things like that that we put in place, right? That's, that's a, a positive thing, like that's a response, right? But there's times when it becomes like, well, look at those poor people. Let's do something to make sure they're welcome. And it becomes more like um, charity in the sense we feel pity or we um, are, uh, I don't know, and I don't know if I have the right words, but then um, I've been in conversation was like, you know, well, don't we feel sorry for them or don't we, um, 
aren't we called to be like with with all that we have share in a way that almost seems demeaning um but your analogy says no we are proactive in wanting to create a space um and that that was so powerful for me to listen to hear that because as i am pregnant and carrying the, these children what we are preparing for is trying to make sure that it's the best that we can make it right and um, but it's not charity in the sense like oh that poor kid needs help being fed so i'll i guess i'll you know um do something that, to help make that possible or whatever and i for me it has helped me shift in thinking about who we are called to be and who we are ought to be um as disciples of Jesus Christ. And I don't mean it to be demeaning at all. So I hope my intent and how it came out, like there is that balance, right? Of seeing a need, responding to a need, that's is important. But um, I guess I've been in conversation where it becomes more of like pity um, opposed to um, hospitality or care or preparation. Yeah, it's, what is it? Cause you're right, like when we do, ministry work and in some many cases mission work um we take pity on communities and groups of people who we think have less than us and speaking as a white person in these contexts we as and as a white person some other white folks we develop like this white savior complex right like i want to help you i want to save you i want to do what i think is best for you so mm -hmm. I'm doing this charity work. I'm doing this mission work. I'm doing this good deed for you um, to make myself feel better, to put myself mm -hmm. up on a pedestal, to whatever. And maybe like, and that might not be the intent, but that is how it, like, that's the impact, right? Um, of how it comes off. So what does it look like to turn that into, when I was hearing you talk, this is what came up for me, but into like compassion. Like if I have compassion for you, I don't want to just like, you know, do charity work for you, speaking in my own experience and for other groups of people. I want to ensure that these folks that I have compassion for, whoever that may be, I want to ensure that they have the same quality of life that I do. And so what does it look like to, and I don't know if I'm articulating this quite right, um, but what does it look like to engage with these groups of people and and do that work with them mm -hmm. right so like yeah. what does it look like to listen to the needs that are being expressed implement that find solutions mm -hmm. for that and include them in the conversation not as like a tokenization thing but because like mm -hmm. we cannot successfully serve others if we're not listening to their needs right mm -hmm. like if we're working together betty and there's something that you need from me I can't just like decide what that is. Like I have to have a conversation with you and say, okay, like we're working on this project together. What do you need from me in this space? And then we're working with each other and not for the other. So I don't know if that came out. Yeah, right. no, that's helpful. I'm gonna hold on to that. That uh, I don't know if it's called an analogy or metaphor, but um, yeah, of being, you know, preparing to be parents and and then it makes me think of, you know, how we've used that analogy of the church uh, being a doula or part of, um, you know, that bringing forth something like in partnership with, you know, with God. Um, so I'm going to percolate on that a little bit more of that, you know, that 
our role as being a bridge or being part of that birthing something new, like not that we've created it, but that that we were part of that process um, with others and, and with our creator, right? But wow, yeah, thanks. I really appreciate <laughs> um, the insight and the conversation. And um, yeah, I look forward to continue thinking about this and going back to our original, you know, conversation of starting small, right? Like starting somewhere. And we're going to explore how that might have a bigger impact. Um, yeah. So thanks, Court. Yeah. Thank you. I'm excited to to tackle part two and a yeah so and yeah continue the conversation. So Sounds we'll keep good. it percolating. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Betty. Thank you for listening to Percolating Wonder. Be sure to like and subscribe or follow us depending on what podcast platform you're listening on. If you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And remember, tell your friends.